Live from the center of the earth, girth. Are you ready now? Yeah. Close the door too, though, just in case. Uh, uh, just in case you can see. It's probably not going to get hectic, but just in case. I think students are coming in because uh, you probably heard about the Stanford swimmer case. Yeah, the um, the rape case. And yeah, so graduation is on Sunday, and uh, a whole bunch of students will be plotting the, the revolution this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> so, a little closer? Oh, like this? Okay. Yeah. All right. Check one, two. One, two. There you three, go. Three, four, five, six. That sounds good, yeah. Seven, eight, nine, ten. I guess, yeah, that's the... Because, um, uh, yeah, I was Googling the um, the address. I, I hadn't clicked like that. Uh, I saw the swimmer stuff, but I didn't click what the what university was mm -hmm. until you sent me the... Because um, you just hear stuff now, right? Like, there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of, like... Sure. Yeah. Um, it's almost unfortunate, like the black shootings. It's just like you don't really hear at the cities anymore, whether it's Cleveland or Ferguson or New York or whatever. Yeah. Is it, well, it's yeah. I feel like it's it's just part of yeah. It's become kind of the ambiance that we're like you said, like we're walking through every day. So yeah. Yeah. So it's just like again, or like we're doing this. We're still doing this. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes, sir. Six hundred years of racism mm -hmm. or more still going strong even after you wrote the book too right i thought i was putting an end to it with, with this book <laughs> i have a little bit more writing to do i guess yeah <laughs> i found that when obama got elected mm -hmm. the first time it there was especially in america it felt like racism was like over or something or like it had concluded or like there was a vibe about that i mean it felt like i think uh a period of like it was like you were high. Yeah. Like you were just mollied out and everybody was super happy and hugging each other and we were all just full of joy. Mm -hmm. and there was almost this like irrational exuberance, this sense like we had kind of broken through. And yeah, I think back on some some of like the you know, some of those days, like, wow, what what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. You know? you, like what was what was happening to us at the time? But there was like this sense like that history had been made and there was you know somehow going to be like some magical almost change that would befall all of us but it didn't happen of course it went the other way yeah so, is that again we are. yeah <laughs> yeah is that almost like you said it went the opposite way and is that sometimes um part of the um i don't know how to phrase it like i guess part of the reaction to uh, when you put the emphasis on diversity, you put the emphasis on race, and Obama was clearly like a race thing. Mm -hmm. um, Obama's election, yeah, being a race thing. yeah. I think it was for a lot of people, and what I think those of us who were irrationally exuberant, you know, I definitely caught myself amongst those folks were feeling uh, was um, a kind of a underestimation of the other side you know mm -hmm. um i remember so i so this book who we be that i just you know well i didn't just write it but it came out in 2014 and it was like an eight-year process so i was pitching the book back in 2006 and um i remember at the time this is before obama had declared you know his candidacy um he was he is just sort of coming into prominence i think at the time um he had been elected senator 
and there was a lot of talk and whispering that he might run. Um, but I was like finishing up Can't Stop, Won't Stop, getting out, talking about that book. And I realized like the one thing that I'd missed was sort of the a discussion about how the generation before us, the baby boomers, who I straight up shat on a lot, <laughs> can't stop, won't stop, right? Yeah. And that came from like these arguments I would have with my elders about my generation, mm-hmm. quote unquote generation, because obviously generations are fictions. But that came from that. And I was thinking back about it in 2006 after Can't Stop, Won't Stop had come out and was thinking to myself, gosh, you know, I really didn't do any justice to all of these people who had sacrificed and fought so hard and like kind of shepherded us through the 80s and the 90s, which were a time of real racial backlash. And we were like youngins then. So we're just coming onto these college campuses, not even understanding, you know, what we were coming into, but we were at that time, the quote unquote, most diverse generation ever. And all of a sudden race, racial incidents start happening to to us on these campuses and and for me it was real because I come from Hawaii so I've grown up in a majority minority quote unquote you know state a state that had been captured by the US yeah and colonized and and um, and and literally like you know brought into the union that way um, a state also which which has a lot of common established uh, stereotypes as well in terms of like the ethnicity yeah the stuff. yeah so the ukulele the like the well yeah uh, okay so i got yeah, you so so yeah so and racialized stereotypes absolutely for sure um and so i'm coming up to to california berkeley liberal city yeah. and all that kind of thing history of the free speech movement um i didn't know about the third world strike at that time or ethnic studies but i'm coming into all this something ah liberal city literally like the like almost as soon as I'm off the plane and in the streets, like people are calling me chink. What are you fucking doing here? Yeah. Go back to China and all kinds of shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that is part and parcel of what, um, my story is about. I write about it in this new book that I'm, I'm, I'm coming to, but anyway, back to the story. So we're learning from these veterans of the sixties, right? Um, folks who had been in the Black Panther Party, folks who had done community organizing, folks who had done welfare rights organizing, folks who had done like all kinds of stuff in the streets, right? People in the the queer liberation movement, people who were out there on the front lines around third world um, issues uh, for all these years, feminism and everything else. And, And they kind of helped us and led us through this backlash that developed against our very presences on the campus, you know? Like the 80s and the 90s to me, you know, for many years were kind of whitewashed as like this Reagan era where everybody's sort of suburban and happy and, you know, these images of Reagan on, uh, in, in a cowboy hat on a horse, you know, like whatever, riding through his ranch. Um, it was a good profitable too. Like It was, it was really profitable to, to, to kind of put these images out. And I'm like coming up like with hip hop and punk music all around me. And then at the end of the 80s, what you see is this development of this like ideological backlash and like just crazy like rise in hate incidents. 
and just like a whole generation of us like that was our initiation really into like oh welcome to adulthood yeah as a person of color in america right? yeah in the us of a um the classic chuck d line which is that rap is the cnn of the ghetto yeah CNN, he said cnn the cnn of black people yeah and we were all tuning in as well because we weren't necessarily having anywhere where there was an asian american or a pacific islander mm -hmm. like cnn yeah. so we're we're tuning into the black cnn um at that time so it, it hip-hop was super crucial to that and I, I remember like my my school years at, at Cal at UC Berkeley were about like um, like whatever taking over like the political science office or the administration building during the day and then going to the radio station and hanging out and playing hip-hop or listening to uh, punk with folks you know or whatever just chilling at night and stuff and then going back out to the ramparts the next morning <laughs> yeah and that was like what i wanted to write about so i went to my editor and i'm like ah, i got this great book i want to write about multiculturalism and she's like ah, oh, nobody gives a shit about that you know <laughs> like what do you what, what? yeah like, give me a real idea here yeah like, come on you know so we like had this out for about a year and then i think you know in 2007 vibe asked me to start covering then candidate barack obama and as soon as he starts running, all of this stuff starts happening. Like there's the Reverend Jeremiah Wright scandal, right? Mm -hmm. And there was um, like Hillary Clinton's then advisor saying like, this guy is not American. You know, we, we can kill this guy. We'll yeah. just like, we'll just raise all of these specters of this guy being a foreigner. Yeah. Right. Which the is, birth scandal. And right. The one that becomes the birther scandal, right? With the. Uh, Trump and all these other folks. I mean, it, it, people forget it begins with Hillary's like advisors, right? You know, and and so suddenly we're like, oh shit, we actually do have a book, but it's a different book than I thought it was. It's about like what's happened to the to to the U.S. and I think to to Canada as well. But all of these ways of immigration and now this massive demographic shifts that are happening, but also this massive cultural shift that's happening because of black culture because of um, hip hop, you know, um, that we're able now to be able to see the world in a different kind of way, but we're only halfway there. Mm -hmm. um, and then Obama gets elected and I'm like, we like, let's, let's do this book. I'll yeah. get it done in a year. And this yeah. is going to be like a victory story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as soon as that happens, like we signed the book, like I think, um, <laughs> thank God, right before the market tanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 2008, like, <laughs> the book, thank God. And, and then, um, I'm off to write and almost as soon as he gets elected, the backlash begins. And then that was why the book ended up taking like another seven years to write was because I was just trying to comprehend what was going on, you know, with the rise of the tea party, the birther movement, um, you know, all of the fucking Minutemen stuff on the border. Um, like the the also the other thing that we missed during that particular period was or a lot of people missed during that period was all the immigration marches that occurred right and um so the work that i got involved in was looking a lot more at, at immigration and really what we've come to describe as migrant justice work um and so we started up an organization called culture strike and we started talking a lot about how um we have to change the culture in order to change politics but anyway that's sort of that's sort of a ramble about um about you know sort of 
how things shifted and, and, and how I was sort of learning to try to catch up with all this stuff. But it does feel right now like in a lot of ways we're back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, and I spent it on a college, I spent it on college campuses for the latter part of the 80s and then I went to, to get my master's during the early part of the 90s right after the Los Angeles Rebellion. And, um, and now it's weird because I'm in a position to teach my students about all of this stuff that had been kind of like glossed over. Mm -hmm. this history that they know nothing about um, and to try to describe the culture wars and what the long-term impact has been um, and I think we've seen uh, especially in the last two years um, students find uh, 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 young people not just students but just young people generally like begin to find their voice in, in all of this um, and that's been really exciting I want to pick up on that last thread because you talked about when you first went to uh, the campus in Berkeley and then you started experiencing all this racism. How did the process of writing the book and kind of exploring this national backlash yeah. change your own perspective or your own, uh, I, I guess, even race issues, your own personal race issues, kind of resolving those? Sorry, that's a super good question because, you know, I went in and, I, you know, I was... I was young and full of shit, just like, you know... Uh, anybody who goes like, to college. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I think anybody who's young, like, you're going to be young and full of shit at some point in your life. There's very few people who are, are like, saints and angels from the very beginning and stuff. And I'm not necessarily saying about, like, saints and angels in terms of, like, obeying the law or anything like that or, like, filial piety. But I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, I'm just saying, like, I was young and full of shit. I was. And... Um, and I think, you know, again, like we were following like our elders past, you know, literally our professors were teaching us how to, um, to gird ourselves, to deal with these kinds of things, you know, to deal with like, not just like, here's how you, you get on a, on a path to understanding your identity and heal yourself. Um, but here's also, uh, an understanding of how all of this connects to this larger, history of imperialism and colonialism and racism that goes back hundreds of years right um and so you know you always as a young person learn the anger part of it like really well like oh i get the anger mm -hmm. i get the i get the fighting stuff i get the warrior stuff like put me out there give me a weapon whether it be like you know like a book you know mm -hmm. or a picket sign or a poem yeah, or a poem or a song, right? Give me two turntables and a microphone, right? And I will go out there and express my anger. And I think in the process of writing the book, I had to go back to that and be like, wow, I was really full of shit. We were really full of shit around some of these things. Um, and what we've come around to is it's not, and, and again, this has been this type of thing where, where there's a lot of elders who have kind of like taken us through this, you know, but... It's come to a point where what I try to teach my students, which is what my elders were trying to teach me all those years, is it's not about simply reacting, right? It's not just about the, the, the pinpoint of that moment that flew you into rage and like trying to harness that power that you get from that rage in that particular moment, that anger you felt when you turned the corner on the bicycle and some fucking hippie is like 
get off the get off the sidewalk, go back to fucking China. You yeah. Know? And you're like, you're like, you know, trying to harness that. That's like powerful, right? Yeah. Like it really drives people, and uh, it drives people to do very courageous things sometimes. But you can't live like that. Like it's going to burn you out. Um, and it did. It burned all of us out. You know, those of us who are older. So I try to teach folks about like moving through that. You get, you have to get to the point where you're thinking about what is a sustainable future, um, emotionally, community-wise, all that kind of stuff. And it comes back to like even considering the people that are being shitty to you, um, that that they are worthy of redemption as well. You know? That's empathy. Yeah, it is. But a lot of people, I don't know how to put. It. A lot of people don't have empathy. Like so. Once, like, if somebody's calling you, like, Chank or Chinese or making racial things or whatever, the empathy tends, to, especially now online, the empathy tends to flow to you as the victim rather than the guy who's, like, being racist to you. Like, we've lost nuance mm -hmm. in terms of how we do the discussion now since you've written the book, too. Yeah, I think that, it, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly things, I think, have become a lot more polarized now. And it's even harder now to even be able to imagine, like, how could... Uh, how how insane is it to actually make an argument that Trump is worthy of redemption? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then still Trump, right? And still be socially accepted, you right? Know, like FTT. Yeah. Like, I'm all with like that FTT shit. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, but you know. Um, but that's you the thing to, right? you can't draw the line and say like th this person is can re receive redemption or this person receives is worthy of empathy, right. but this person is not. Like, because then it's just like you get into this hard area where you're just judging everything left and right and you're like he goes back to what you're saying you're full of shit sometimes yeah no i mean you th i think you have to call out the bullshit right but i think you know like and this is where i think those of us back in the day were misinterpreting even malcolm x like we were like we were like all down for malcolm x like the 19 you know 61 1962 malcolm x you know what i mean mm -hmm. but what about the 1964 1965 malcolm x right like we were all like, like against like the 1963 Martin Luther King, but what about the 1967, 1968 Martin Luther King? Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying like both of them towards the end of their lives were coming around to this idea that that like you have to there has to be transformative justice. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the term is now mm -hmm. that you know organizers are using. There has to be transformative justice. So there's got to be a place for the Trump. You know what I mean? In like the the better world that we're building. I'm not saying that I'm going to give him like fucking like, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like a, a fucking Trump Tower. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, like I'm speaking metaphorically. You're right. I guess I could be talking about materially as well because it'd be cool to redistribute the Trump Tower wealth to like the people. Yeah. And like house the homeless, right? But like that's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm speaking... I think a little bit more metaphorically here. I'm, I'm saying there's got to be a place for everybody um, in in whatever the the new vision is. This is what Grace Lee Boggs is talking about. Um, I think all the way up into her passing. And so those are the folks that I look up to now. You know, I, I look up to those particular ones. I look up to people like Robin Kelly. I look up to people like Cornel West. People who are are trying to articulate a politics. Of what they call love which sounds kind of corny mm -hmm. but like when you really get down to it like what do you got politics of hate politics of reaction you know politics of like 
I don't know, fuck you. You know, like at some point, it, 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 there, there needs to be the process of both the fuck you, but also the welcome back. Yeah. Like you, you know, like, or welcome home. Like this is, these are the new rules now. So, but people also don't either forget or they don't realize that when you call somebody out on their bullshit, it's actually uh, that's love. That's love, right? Yes, yes, but that's love. Yes, and that's genuine love. But the yes. thing I think is, especially when you see it online or other discussions too, like at university campuses, people just want all they want agreement. They they view agreement as love. You know what I mean? Like we all have to have a consensus on this. Right. And I think that's where things fall apart because you can't get agreement. Like, yeah, like the biggest dif- the biggest difficulty is trying to figure out how to live with difference, and that's like that was the whole notion of diversity in the first place. You know, what I mean, like recognize difference and cherish difference and honor difference. Um, you know, there's limits to that, obviously. Like, you can't o- you can't honor the difference that's about destroying the difference. Right. I mean, that's sort of the liberal quandary. Mm-hmm. I get all philosophical and shit about it. Right? <laughs> but my point is, is, is when people were starting to use the, the word diversity uh, in a big way in the 70s, it was a radical idea because at that time there was only one way to be, which was like, you're going to be white. Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to be like Americanness is about being white. Americanness is about whiteness. Right. Or whatever. Like, like being human is about being white. Mm hmm. Right? Um, and, and therefore like the binary of that, right. is like, you're, if you're not white, then you're not fully human. Um, and it's all about like getting rid of binaries and it's all about trying to approach everybody in ways that will allow us to all see each other's full humanity. And this is sort of what the point of, of who we be is. It's using the metaphor of seeing to talk a little bit more about like, how do we get towards transformative justice? Um, but also how artists see too. Yes. Right? Because they, artists, and there's a group of creative people that just have a different way of seeing, a unique way of seeing that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think of uh, Jordan Montana when I was reading, Joe Montana when I was reading the book, because Jordan, especially, he had the ability to kind of see what the defense was doing. And it's almost like chess. He was like two steps ahead. Mm. You guys are going to close the lane. I'm going to go this way. Mm. Right? Mm. And that's and Joe Montana did the same thing. He was going to pass to one guy, and he's like, he saw what the defense was doing. He read it, and analyzed it, and then adjusted all on the fly. Mm. And that's what makes those players great, because right. they had they could see it, and they could see what what things were happening. Like I said, two steps ahead. Yeah. And make yeah. those adjustments. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, De La Soul Shringalokey, you know, where they sample Daddy O saying on and on and two steps ahead. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh wow, like it just came on my iPod today, and I was like. Yeah, yeah, this shit was dope. <laughs> but uh, sorry about that digression. No, you're right. You're totally right. And then it's and the interesting thing is is in a way like you're talking about Jordan and Montana and they're playing the game, right? Um, and and the the thing is is the only difference is is that this isn't a game. This is real people's lives, right? So we're not doing this to win. Mm-hmm. We're trying to like we're trying to see past like the bullshit wall that Donald's trying to build metaphorically and physically and physically right to to like what is actually the the different way that we could actually the alternative way that we could actually live together um and I think that at the end of the day um it becomes it becomes the type of thing where you know you uh you you have to see through your um 
you have to see through your own shit sometimes, you know? And, and that's where it gets back down to like the idea of like healing yourself is, is, is really, uh, key. It's the central and the first step to getting into a situation where everybody can heal themselves. It's not about like, I'm gonna heal myself and I'm gonna be good Mm -hmm. and everybody else can fuck it. You know, can just fuck off. Yeah. It's not like that at all. And I think that seeing through that is, is what gets, is what will get us there, you know? I'm getting all like crazy and like philosophical and but you go you went back to love in a sense right yeah quasi spiritual <laughs> and, and semi-religious but i you know it's like in my old age that's like but doesn't that kind of fall into then the like going again just getting older but it, you the fire the anger that you're talking about it kind of it simmers now but it still burns hot yeah for sure. You know what I mean? People get, they get attracted to flames, but the coals are just as hot. Yeah, no, you're right. Exactly. And it's still cooking, right? It's still cooking shit, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's absolutely the thing, but you learn the uses of, of the fire, right? It's like, whatever, like, I put it, like the memory of fire, mm-hmm. right? Is, is what sustains you and it's what kind of keeps you moving forward. Absolutely. How do you measure? So you talked about uh, you wrote the book uh, and you're trying to document the backlash after Obama got elected. How are you measuring progress? How are you measuring hope? Like, well, are there certain signs or like, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Or it's so hard. I mean, like, you know, it's very difficult these days for you, me, and all of us to wake up and like, whatever, fire up our phone or our iPad or that kind of thing, and like. You know, then the news crawl comes on, and you're just like, fuck, shit is like nasty and it's horrible, and it feels more and more polarized. And so, you know, for me, like, the hope that I get is from, from um, young heads who are trying and getting it and, and putting themselves on the line. Like, you know, uh, I may not believe in generations, but I definitely believe in like the the idea of intergenerationality, right? And for me, it's this notion of being open um, to, and I'm literally in between, I'm in middle age now, right? So I'm in between like my kids and my parents and, you know, the the newbie, the new ones, the young ones are getting born and, and you know, the, the grandparents and the elders and stuff. And, um, so it's, I think about opening up those channels to be able to understand, like, literally like, what's your lane at this point in life? You know, um, it's inspiring to be able to see like my students, to see young folks who live around me in my neighborhood and that kind of thing, doing it, doing it big all the time. Um, it's inspiring to still be learning from the elders you know, who are like still trying to teach everything, you know? Um, and so at this particular point, um, I get hope from all of those folks who um, are in this and you try to you try to think about yourself as being in between and, and like serving as conduit, you know, serving as bridge, um, be able to get Grace's ideas down to, you know, the, the youngins, you know, and to be able to, to get the old ones to understand why the youngins are angry these days, you know what I mean? When everything was supposedly resolved, you know? 
Like, we, oh, we dealt with that. Didn't we deal with that in the 90s? Actually, no, you didn't deal with it. Like, didn't we deal with that in the, in the 60s? No, we didn't deal with it then either. Like, it's just still going. So. When Ali obviously just died just recently, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and he was obviously a huge figure for civil rights and for black people and iconic figure. But I was, uh, I was struck again by the image of um, the Cleveland Summit right where um there was uh, uh kareem abdul jabbar and all and this is when he was taking the rights uh for the war and all that stuff right and he was surrounded by all these like black people uh really prominent black talented black guys uh bill russell like all these guys yeah and it was just, i was just struck by that image when i'm just like do we have so like just prominent um just like a group of people that when you put them in a photo like that now we're just it oh, just yeah. did that same kind of iconic yeah absolutely we do i mean the black lives matter founders you know mm -hmm. patrice and opal and alicia you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i look up to them they're younger than me i look up to them you know people who are are writing tanahasi uh coats right nicole hannah jones right like the kiese layman like these folks like i look up to them you know what i mean um i think they're all younger than me as well maybe tanahasi isn't um, but he seems to be about our age. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's probably. He's probably younger. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's in his late forties. I don't know. But yeah, you know what I mean. Like all of these folks are really inspiring. I feel like um, there's a, a a lot of folks who are who are who are doing it big. Um, you know, all around. Um, you know, I I I I I think there's a lot of reason to be hopeful. Because, you know, the, the thing that Patrice, Alicia, and Opal did um, was to refocus our attention where it needs the most attention, you know, um, which is on the question of black lives. When we look at black lives, you know, life expectancy for African-Americans, uh, for black people, I'm sure it's the same in Canada, is lower than everybody else, you know, except for, I think, young, uh, except for, I think, um, Native American women. Um, but across the board, you know, like on all measures. Um, and what is that about? Um, it's not just happenstance, right? It's not because people um, are, are, are uh, blowing off opportunities. It's because of institutionalized racism that has like foreclosed life chances, life opportunities, life possibilities um, for uh, people from where people live to where black folks live to where um, black folks work, you know, all the way on down the line. To the way they dream too, right? I'm sorry. To the way they dream as well. Yeah, well, I mean, look at look at look at like Robin Kelly. Like Robin uh, is it has this amazing book that everybody should call Freedom Dreams, um, and and I think that that if you get right down to it. Um, that's the thing that we're missing right now. Like during times like this, where it feels like it's so polarized, where it feels like it's so chaotic, where it feels like there's no hope left. Like those are the times that we have to dream the most, that we have to like imagine the biggest, you know, that we have to go, go like beyond what's in front of us to like what like is possible. Like we have to re-enter the realm of possibility. And I think that, you know, um, it's hard to see for, I think, many people, like, past 
like the November election. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a lot of fear, you know, Um, but but you have to be able to imagine you have to be able to dream. And that's that's why we always say that culture like precedes politics, like cultural change precedes political change. You have to be able to imagine a future to get yourself towards it. You know, you can't like alternatives are not getting created out of uh, out of whole cloth. They need to be like they they need to be imagined and dreamed first before they can you know be put down onto a page and then you know and then expressed and enter into the body politic or you know or the the sort of social imagination. Yeah, and in the book Who We Be, you had a line that said identity was still the present and future of capitalism. Right. I think that the capitalism has so so what multiculturalism did was first it raised a lot of hell. Um, it tried to advance this radical notion of diversity, and then there was a backlash. People were really scared of it, uh, and then um, they they started trying to embrace it. Like you can see this in hip hop, right? Hip hop was like loud, rude, uh, and scared. Offensive too. Offensive, offensive to whom though, right? But scary. It was very scary. Like hip hop was scary, mm-hmm. and so you see a backlash that builds, and the moment that um, all of this begins to uh, to 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 make sense uh, to people not coming from hip hop is April 29th through May second. You know what I mean? Of ni- in nineteen ninety two. The Los Angeles. The Los Angeles riots. Right. Los Angeles rebellion. Following the Rodney King. Following the Rodney King beating in yeah. March of nineteen ninety one. Right. Well, the Latasha Harlan's killing as well. You yeah. Forget that actually, especially those of us who are Asian American. Um, there's that line there's that line that I think um, uh, Ice Cube had in Wicked April 29 more power to the people and yeah. we might just see a sequel right right and we have right like every generation it does it, it comes back around right so we have Ferguson in Baltimore right um, but I guess the point that I was trying to make was was like after the riots in hip-hop what you see is all of these companies then beginning to try to monetize hip-hop so the period from Late 1992, when the Chronic is released by you know by Dr. Dre, um, up until like when Biggie and Pac are are shot, 1996, 1997, like this is a moment in which a lot of money is being thrown into the game, right? This is when popular culture is saying, "Yo, we don't need to like reject this shit. We don't need to be having like Charlton Heston talking about like banning rap artists." We need to fucking make money mm-hmm. off of this shit. We need to kick off of this, you know. So they, they literally try to figure out a way to incorporate what's scary, right? And what's scary is this young, diverse, multicultural generation. Um, and and I think that now, if you look at diversity, it's become like this very empty kind of idea. It's this empty notion. It doesn't really say anything anymore. It says nothing radical, really. Um, and you know, there's a term for it. Nancy Leong, actually, this scholar um, from Colorado, like talks about it as racial capitalism. So we're living in a moment where, where, um, you know, diversity is, or the, I should say, the appearance of diversity, the affectation of diversity. In other words, the sort of trappings of identity, right, is is what has value, 
uh, to folks. So every at the beginning of every school year, um, I get a call from like the powers that be here at Stanford because I run the Institute for Diversity in the Arts, and they want to come to our classes to take a bunch of pictures. And those like inevitably will end up in like some website or Stanford like application or brochure or something like that. And I get it. I understand what they're trying to do here. Exactly what they're trying to do. You're playing the game. I play the game because I then have to. I, I then have the opportunity to be able to, you know, to to be able to teach, mm-hmm. to be able to uh, mentor, to be able to, you know, do my part to build the next generation of leadership. I have to play the game. Absolutely. Um, I'm implicated as well. I'm not I'm not saying I'm outside of this. I'm completely complicit. Um, and uh, and at the same time, you know, I can give the students these ideas. I can sit in class and be like, yo, this is racial capitalism, <laughs> right? Like you're on the athletics team. Like, why do you think you're, if you're not a swimmer, like, but if you're, if you're like the student of color who's on um, the lacrosse team or the soccer team or this or whatever, maybe in the swimming team or whatever, like they're going to take an interest in you in a certain kind of way, right? Um, They're, they're, uh, they're, they're in some ways like, you know, utilizing the image of diversity to be able to sell themselves because this is the society that we live in now. So that's real, right? Um, and 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 I think that capitalism figured that out, like right or, uh, right around that turn of time, where it's like, oh, actually, yeah, the most of the world is not old white and lives in the suburbs. Like most of the the world is young of color and lives increasingly in cities um and if we're going to sell to the world then we have to actually start dealing with it here at home uh, first but wasn't that the whole impetus behind like the we're going back to obama because uh the republicans they realized after they lost both times to obama it's like all right we got to appeal to women we got to appeal to gays to latinos all those kind of things we heard a lot of that rhetoric right we got to refocus we got to regroup and figure out how and then all of a sudden they come up with trump yeah and it was the polar opposite of everything they had been saying. It was yeah. like, <laughs> forget Latinos, forget women, and forget gays. We're going to go with Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, Karl Rove was the dude. Karl Rove, if people remember, was George W. Bush's like number one advisor. Um, he and was the, the string master, too, kind of. The puppet master, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He, um, he was the dude that was like, the Republican Party has to diversify. You know, It's like shocking, actually, to kind of think about that. But he was the one. He was the one, and I would go and I covered, I covered the uh, the conventions and the elections in 2000 and 2004, um, and 2002 actually too, but 2000 and 2004, um, and then of course in 2008 for, for uh, Vibe, um, uh, and I always like was really interested in the folks of color that the, particularly Black Republicans that. Um, uh, that you know that were being recruited and stuff, and every one of them had the same story, or not every one of them, but most of them had the same story, which was, you know, they um, <laughs> they walked in the room, they were the unicorn, and suddenly they were like completely, like, taken care of, like doors opened, that kind of stuff. It was affirmative action, mm-hmm. right? It was affirmative action. All these black Republicans and Latino Republicans, Asian American Republicans, all got in. Native American Republicans all got uh, affirmative action um and 
they were on that roll. I mean, in 2000, people forget this, but Brian McKnight and Shaka Khan actually performed after, on like the the in the hour after Bush accepted the the nomination. Um, and I was like, Shaka, no. <laughs> <laughs> and she actually went on record. I think she said it was like the worst thing that she's ever done in her whole life. She yeah. would take it back if she could. Um, but yeah, they were they were literally like in 2000, like trying to appeal to to uh, to folks of color. So yeah, identity, past, and future of, of capitalism. For sure. And does this feed back into what you're talking about with like um, students being recruited for like the campus to play sports and stuff? Because sports is the is one area where race you can almost transcend race. Like we saw that when OJ. This is obviously way before, but when OJ was running, he was so popular with white people and black people. Like Michael Jordan, same thing. He had street cred, but at the same time, white people more or less accepted him. They hated him when he was in New York, obviously, because it's the Knicks. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Where like they there there's a opportunity where and Will Smith has kind of done this too, mm. where he has some street cred, but also can like hang out and like white people like him and accept him. I don't know if Will Smith has any street cred. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough definition of street cred, I know. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. You know the sort of like I call it the Noah's Ark uh, version of, of of multiculturalism, where. You, you know, you choose two of each and get them on the boat so they can escape the, <laughs> the rising floodwaters which yeah. have been created by climate change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, like, it's, basically, it's basically that, you know. Um, and, you know, and so bringing it back around, right? Like, so, like, we thought we were maybe past that shit when Obama gets elected. And as it turns out, not so much. And I think the Republican thing now is, is the elite... Um, are scared, right? Uh, Trump's opened a Pandora's box of, of um, you know, working class, uh, like fears, uh, questions, issues, all of these things that the Republicans thought they had managed for so many years uh, with the culture wars, you know? Um, and now that stuff is literally like fucking, like, it's like the gun has been turned around and fired in their face. You know what I'm saying? It's like they they uh, don't even understand the depth of the shit that they've been doing, the game that they've been playing, right? Since forever, for fucking ever, right? You could go all the way. You could talk about 1964 and Barry Goldwater, like saying, "No, we're going to be against the Civil Rights Bill." You know, you could take it all the way back, right? We could go. Like year by year through American history, yeah. right, um, all the way back to the founding of the Republican Party, you know, and talk about the ways a race like was managed um, all the way through. But certainly, this 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 particular moment like is is it can be traced to '68 and the silent majority and all of this stuff, right? Well, the silent majority is now about to be cut. The 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 so-called silent majority. Um, that Nixon was talking about back then, which was working class whites, is is now a silent, like a, a loud minority, right? Or about to become a loud minority. Like in, 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 in not a, a short amount of time, not a long amount of time, like within 10 years, you know? Um, and the culture has already gotten there, right? And so... Um, and so, like, that's that's the box that they open, 
back in 68 with this Southern strategy. Um, and they can't close it now. You know, they can't like put a kind of any kind of lid on that shit. And that's what that's who Trump is, you know. And yes, Trump's a liar. Trump's somebody who is playing on 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 um, on fears and working um, working it. You know, he's he's doing all this for his own gain. He'll say anything to get elected. You know, I guarantee you, if it were the other way around, if he saw a path to the nomination that required him to be like hanging out with Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, and, and giving a eulogy at Muhammad Ali's funeral, he would have been doing that. He's, he's an opportunist. He knows that his only path right now, the path that hasn't been taken by anybody else, is the path of like pure, unadulterated bigotry and, um, and blame shifting. Yeah. And the what you said at the beginning was that the elites are kind of now frightened. And is that part of what's feeding into like Beyonce's uh, Black Panther uh, performance at the Super Bowl? You mean her performance or the reaction to it? The reaction to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because it fed right back into the 60s again with the Black Panther and the Black Power movement. And It is. I mean, that was an interesting moment because it took them. It took him like 24 hours to actually figure out, oh, that's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rudy Giuliani is like, oh, fuck. She kind of played herself. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that was yeah, a slow burn. It like. was a slow burn, right? Like it, like it didn't really take hold even in like our super fast social media driven like media cycle until like 48 hours later. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but absolutely. I think that's what it is. So, so. You know, and that's for the elites. Like, that's for the folks who are like, who are like, oh, do you realize, like, this is how she played us? You know, they're not necessarily talking to um, younger folks, younger whites who have no recollection of, of the Black Panther Party. They're talking to each other. That was a, it was a very, that's why it didn't last very long, right? It was a, it was a very elitist argument. And I think the backlash to the backlash to Beyonce's performance um, was probably like a lot bigger than the actual backlash itself. How do we claim then, like you were talking about um, the backlash, you're talking about how diversity has almost kind of become this non word. Like, do we need new language then to kind of uh, articulate these ideas? And um, just because it's like we're all kind of just saying the same thing or just using certain buzzwords like diversity. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, okay, so this is, a, this is something that's really, really important for folks who are interested in change to understand. Um, what folks who are radical, progressive, whatever you want to call yourself, you know, like forward looking, you know, like interested in change, change makers, change agents, whatever word you want to use, what, what we always have to do is to give people new frames to keep them moving forward. We have to tell them new stories, give people new songs, like, you know, art, we have to be able to move the culture forward. Um, and that comes through language, it comes through um, visual uh, work, you know what I mean? Um, it comes through all of those different types of things that ignite our imagination. We have to be able to keep imagination alive even during the times of darkest, like the darkest sort of clouds, you know, gathering outside and stuff. When the storm is out there, 
like we need to be inside like thinking about like uh what the next thing is going to look like when the stone cloud pass passes um and so we continually have to come up with new things you know what i mean like we can't really rest you know and that's the nature of culture culture is like it's like the ocean the tides are always moving the water one way or the other um and that's what we have to continue to be doing and that seems hopeless except for the fact that that there's so much joy to be had in creativity and in um and in thinking something big through with homies or with a large amount of people you know to think in public you know what i mean um and that's why we need artists and that's why we need uh, public thinkers and that's why we need uh you know community folks you know um to to be you know like gathering and, and working through these things on a day-to-day -day type of basis um so yeah i think that that's a constant process it's not just that we have to do that it's that we always have to do that right so that when the language was equal opportunity right the other side reappropriated that and they call these anti-affirmative action uh programs or initiatives equal opportunity acts right um, and when, when uh, folks like wanted to talk about uh, radical diversity, right? Suddenly you see like the the military like trumping up its diversity, right? Like talking very proudly about the diversity uh, in its ranks, right? Um, so we have to continue to keep on moving it, right? I don't know what the new language is yet. I think that that's something that comes out of this ferment of right now. You know, but I think that that what's undeniable is that it doesn't stop. You know, it keeps on going. And that could be a recipe for burnout, right? That could be a recipe for like this flame like completely blowing up and then like dying out because it it, it, it burned through the fuel so fast, you know what I mean? And so that's why uh, we keep on coming back to like what is sustainable, what is regenerative. Um, and that has to do with with being able to replenish your, your store of joy and creativity um, and to practice politics alone. So what do you see or how do you see this kind of like going or like, I mean, Martin Luther, but Martin Luther King had the whole, I have a dream and this is the things that he saw, right? What do you see now? Like King, King also said like at the end of the, near the end of his life, like in the last year of his life, um, he said that we all needed to undergo a radical revolution of values. Um, and I believe in that. I, I, I believe deeply in that. And I think that points us back to, to this, to working in the culture. So like doing what you're doing, you know what I mean? Like with sound, right. And igniting people through hearing, right. Igniting minds, igniting imagination through, through hearing, through, through sound, um, crucial work, right. Mm -hmm. You're changing people's values just through the work that you're, you're doing through the through the act of picking up a microphone um, and pressing record, right? Um, and everybody does it in their own kind of way. You don't have to be somebody who can draw a great painting or anything. Like if you're on Twitter, you're working in the culture already. You know what I mean? So it's just a matter of of uh, of building the kinds of ties to the community that you need to have, um, and. You know being open to the possibility of what can happen when folks come together um so yeah
just want to finish up on this but you talked about how like um diversity got kind of co-opted a little bit by like say like the military is like look at our diversity and things like that is that kind of a new different type of uh what ellis was talking about Ellison was talking about with the invisible man with um that burden of representation where it's like you've we've almost gone full circle before you weren't really seen and now you're just a sea of people so you're kind of unseen in the sense again yeah, I think you know. Well, the other thing that 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 Ellison said was like they don't see, they don't see me, right? Um, first he said they don't see, and then he said they don't see me. Like they see, um, they see their own projections. They see their own demons. They see uh, their dreams. They see their hopes. They see everything except me, is what he said. Right? That's the other part of the of that particular um, quote, um, and. And so what, what happens is, is, is in a lot of ways, language, the language blinds us, right? People will be like, oh, diversity. Oh, yeah, we do that. We're about that, you know? And then suddenly, like, we become uh, something else. I'll give you a perfect example. Like, I went to um, a school in uh, a university um, in a huge state uh, that is rapidly diversifying, um, but is right now not in the place where Toronto or California is in terms of having been through like the culture wars and come out on the other side um, with sort of a new kind of consensus, right? The state is still in the throes of the culture wars. It's one of the major drivers of the culture. It's Texas, mm-hmm. Texas, fucking Texas, right? Where where the, the school boards are still trying to fight to whitewash school textbooks in history, right? Where they're trying to downplay slavery um, and they're trying to, like, demonize um, um, Mexicans in the, in the readings of the Mexican-American War. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to do all kinds of crazy shit in the textbooks there. Um, so I went to this, a university there to, to do Multicultural Week or Diversity Week. And, <laughs> Good luck. And yeah, and so so I get out there and I'm talking to the director of, of the Multicultural Center and, and she told me, you know, people like here, um, they don't know about the Diversity Week now, but it's hard to get white students to come. I said, why is that? She's all like, well, white students don't think that they're diversity. Or white students think that diversity is a code word for the other folks. So here's a word that was radical once. And said, oh, we're all, you know, this is diversity. Like, you should recognize diversity. And at some point, whites were like, oh, actually, diversity is you guys now. Like. Call us when you figured it out. Yeah. So, like, even the Oscars, when they when they were, like, trying to change their their, their thing up, they're, like, literally, their, their plan was to attract non like, the, was to, to end, like, the practice of appointing non-diverse members. Or not end the practice, but to, you know, sort of stave off like this like ongoing sort of leaning tendency to recruit non-diverse men. Well, what the fuck does non-diverse mean yeah like do you mean to say like white folks like diversity includes everybody so if you're saying non-diverse like what kind of people are you talking about like non-people you're talking about dogs you're talking about cats <laughs> like you're talking about fish mm-hmm. you know manta rays like what, is, what, what the fuck are you talking about non-diverse right I don't know what a non-diverse person is. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's diversity in their own ways and everybody together is diversity. So the language uh, blinds us, right? In that, in that kind of a way to seeing each other in our full humanity. So you have to get, we have to get deeper than that. 
And I think that that's what Black Lives Matter, uh, it, the, the movement for Black Lives has forced us to do. It's to say, look at these fucking killings. These people were clearly not seen as human. Tamir Rice was not seen as human. Freddie Gray was not seen as human. Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, um, Tamir, I mean, uh, Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. you know, Laquan McDonald, they were not seen as worthy of being treated as a human. That lack of empathy again. Lack of empathy, right. And the, the, the lack of will to, to express that empathy, to advance that empathy in the sight of uh, a black child, a black man, a black woman, right? Um, and so that's the hitch that we have to get through at this particular point in history. That's what the movement's coming to us to do. And, and in order for us to get through that, we have to be able to, to have all of these skills and tools to be, to, to approach things in that way. And part of that is policy. Part of that is like you put police cameras on police, even though we know that even if you have video, that's not, that's not ever going to mean that they're always going to be convicted. And mm-hmm. still, we saw that, right? we saw that with Rodney King. I mean, the, that, that was the video. video. Was there, yeah. Right? The video was there. And we're seeing it in case after case now right we have an activist in la who is being like a black uh, woman who is being like arraigned and convicted on lynching charges like the lynching law was established to protect minority folks specifically black folks from mobs right from white mobs and they're using a lynching charge to try to convict her now so the language is always being twisted right and we still, we always have to continue to be able to work that in order to give people the tools to be able to to, to see each other more fully. Um, it's an ongoing process. That almost then seems like it's a war on many different fronts then, right? Because you're trying to restore the language or take back the language or use new language. You're trying to convince other people. You're trying to connect with other people. There's social, there's cultural. It's like the, that's what you're talking about in terms of the burnout too because it's just, it's a war on many fronts. Well, if you think, if you think of it as a war, yeah. You know what I mean? Like wars, like are, you know, whatever the, the expression of the inability to to find ways to work together, right? To, it, it's it's absolutely like consonant with anger and burnout, and I mean it's the definition. Mm-hmm. Like war is death. You know what I mean? What's the worst form of burnout? Death, right? <laughs> it's permanent <laughs> too. Yeah. So like we're trying, we're all trying to find sustainable ways of 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 uh, of living together yeah and so if you think of it as a war then then you're gonna hit that point you know what i mean i think i think that that um i think that what needs to happen is again for folks to be able to find uh the find commonality and to transform values it's about the revolution of values it comes back down to that Ultimately, the value shouldn't be on on um, domination, which is what war is about. Right. To the winners goes the spoils, right? It should be about mutuality. Um, and that is what the struggle is for, I think. You know, we're always in struggle from the day that we're born. Um, and I think that 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 to, ste- to steep ourselves and to prepare ourselves uh, for the struggle, um, we need to be able to fortify ourselves with um, with the kinds of emotions that will uh, allow us to, to replenish the world when it gets um, empty. Yeah. 
before I go, yeah. speaking of struggle, you're wearing a Warriors shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I should say, wait, before that, I should say that, that the new book is about race and resegregation. It's called We Gonna Be All Right. Um, when, go, right? We're, like yeah. This, this notion of like Kendrick arguing like we're in the struggle, but if we all stay together and God's on our side, then we're gonna be all right, you know? So, when does that come out? Or, it's gonna come out in September, actually. Yeah. So, um, so it's just a bunch of essays about, different types of ways of understanding how we've come to this point of resegregating ourselves and losing sight of, of that um, and how to, you know, in some ways how to address that as well. So, yeah. Okay, that's very but, exciting. But yeah, but Warriors, back to the Warriors. Warriors, yeah. yeah Let's yeah. end on a fun note because I know <laughs> I know we got deep into all the... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Warriors in six, Warriors in seven, what are we talking here? Wow. I'm still, I'm still shooting for Warriors in five, man. Warriors in five. Yo, give me five for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, honestly, I think, like, I feel like um, the Cavs, like, figured it out, like, for, you know, game uh, game three. They figured out what they weren't doing correctly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the thing that, the, the X factor in all of this, and I think the thing that folks um, kind of, uh, like maybe take for granted is the the Warriors are a, a really fucking smart team. Yes, they are playing actually far beyond what their numbers look like on paper. Um, you know, if you if you go just by like like size, you know, alone and stuff, like they're playing beyond their means. You know. Um, but these folks have played together forever. It's not a team that was assembled by, you know, one person. You know what I mean? Um, it's not a team that's, that's uh, been in chaos. They, like, flow together. They're the definition of flow. Um, and that, that works from the coaching to, like, all the way on down through each of the players. And, and the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. Now, Curry and Thompson... Uh, and Draymond Green are like huge, huge parts, and that sum alone is pretty fucking huge, right? Yeah. But I think that that what what gives them like the the edge is the same thing that I always look for in the NCAA's and college basketball. It's like what what's that added extra X factor? And I think it's fucking chemistry. Like everybody on that team genuinely loves each other. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that you're gonna see Kevin Durant coming out here next year because they'd have to explode the team in order to do that right and i don't think that anybody is willing to risk um the 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 chemistry of it now that they've got it it's actually very finely balanced um and i think that when you get to that then you get a team that is able to adjust and not only adjust but then to to um do all of the extra added things that they need to do um to 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 win They've. It reminds me of the Chicago Bulls because they they figured out the role, yeah. right? They like Rodman knew. Classic, classic Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pippen. Like Pippen. Rodman yeah. knew that they didn't need him to score, but right. he needed to get those sixteen to twenty rebounds. Yeah, the rebounds, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kerr, Paxson, whoever's in the back, you just need when you get the sh- yes. when you get the pop yeah. ball, hit it. Yeah. That's it. Like you figured out the roles, and it's yeah. the same thing with the Warriors. They don't try and like Livingston. Obviously, had a big game, game one, but it wasn't like they don't need him to score twenty every single night. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and probably Livingston could if he needed to. Right. You know what I mean, but he's not. 
he he he's he understands what his role is meant to to be um, within the larger scope of things. Yeah. So like when when they win, it's easy. It's a little bit easier to see. What happened in this particular in this last game, I feel like is is that um, uh, is that Cleveland stepped it up on defense big time. Um, Cleveland had I think that extra added bonus of being at home. You know, they had the love, and I think the Warriors just came out flat like, ah, we got this, you know. Um, but what we've seen this year is every time that Warriors have been down, like they rally, they rally, and that's where the that's where the chemistry always comes in. So. I think five, man. Five, all right. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's yeah. wrap it up there, and then right. we'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for Jeff, this. for taking a f some time to do this, man. I appreciate it.